Hi, I'm Greg Schaefer, and welcome to the virtual CISO Moment wrap-up for Friday, July 15th, 2022. Microsoft researchers, they've uncovered a massive phishing campaign that can steal credentials even if a user has multi-factor authentication turned on. And we always look at multi-factor authentication as a very important control. I think some of us sometimes almost think of it as like, quote unquote, the holy grail of controls, if you will, because supposedly it could stop all of these password credential attacks, but that's not necessarily the case. There's no such thing as any control that is 100% effective. Now, the article from the Threat Post goes on to state that it's important to point out that this type of attack does not denote a vulnerability in the type of MFA, multi-factor authentication, employed by a corporate email system. AITM phishing, which is authentication in the middle, phishing steals the session cookie, so the attacker gets authenticated to a session on the user's behalf, regardless of the sign-in method. This depends upon what all modern browsers have is the session cookies that are put in place so that they don't have to re-authenticate it every time that they go back to visit a particular site. In this particular type of phishing, an attacker attempts to steal a target user's session cookie so that they can skip the whole authentication process and act as though they're the legitimate authenticated user. This is not a, stealing a session cookie is not a new type of attack. The spin on this is pointing out that this can even this can even bypass multi-factor. And what the attacker ends up doing is creating a website for proxying the HTTP or HTTPS packets from the user that visits the phishing site so that basically the user will type in their credentials to the proxy site, but they see it as typing it into a legitimate site and the creds pass through, the user logs in as if nothing had happened. They never, ever see that there was an issue. We'll keep an eye out for that. And when you're risk assessing your controls, make sure that you remember that MFA is not 100%. From the register, 1.9 million patient records were exposed in a healthcare debt collector ransomware attack. This is professional finance company out of Colorado. They, their customers include hundreds of U.S. hospitals, medical clinics, and dental groups. Private data, including the names, addresses, social security numbers, and health records for more than 1.9 million people were exposed during a ransomware infection. Specifically from their notice, quote, PFC found no evidence that personal information has been specifically misused. However, it is possible that the following information could have been accessed by an unauthorized third party, first and last name, addresses, accounts receivable balance, and information regarding payments to the accounts, and in some cases, date of birth, social security number, and health insurance and medical treatment information. Now, as if to offer a little bit of a consolation prize, they are, of course, offering free credit monitoring. They did state that they didn't see that there was any misuse of the information outside of the fact, of course, that the information appears to have been stolen. So that's rather unfortunate. The register did ask questions which were not answered, including how much money that the criminals were asking for, whether or not PFC paid the ransom, why it took so long to notify the affected medical centers and patients, and if the stolen files were encrypted prior to the attack. 
Now, something that the article notes is back a couple of years ago, 2019, a breach of American Medical Collection Agency, which provided similar services to what PFC does. In that case, that breach was about 20 million records, and the company shortly thereafter declared bankruptcy. So this is probably a major hit to a professional finance company. We'll just see how that plays out in the next days and weeks. Well, it seems like that ransomware is generally endemic, meaning that it's going to be with us for quite some time because they keep on finding new ways to make it work. Another thing that is going to become endemic, according to this article in Computer Weekly, is Log4Shell. You'll recall that Log4Shell first came on the scene back at the end of last year. But according to a report by the U.S. Cyber Safety Review Board, the CSRB, this is going to be around for quite some time. And the reason that they say is that Log4J remains deeply embedded in systems. And even with the short period available for, for the review, community stakeholders have identified new compromises, new threat actors, and new learnings. So because of that, they assess Log4J as an endemic vulnerability and that vulnerable instances will remain in systems for many years to come, perhaps a decade or longer. Now, as a side note, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the CSRB, the Cyber Safety Review Board, this was established by President Biden via an executive order in 2021. So, Log4J, we thought maybe it was gone. Not quite yet. The Hacker News reports that the advanced persistent threat group known as Transparent Tribe has been attributed to a new ongoing phishing campaign targeting students at various educational institutions in India since at least December 2021. This is a change in tactics for this group. And this was first observed by India-based K7 Labs in May of this year. What the theory is, is that this group will target individuals at universities and technical research organizations in order to establish long-term access to siphon off data related to ongoing research projects. So those of you in charge of cybersecurity at universities and colleges, take note that don't forget that research can be a very significant target, particularly when you're talking about nation state sponsored activities. And now some good news in higher education, cybersecurity related, this coming directly from Florida Atlantic University, otherwise known as FAU. Florida Atlantic University was awarded more than $800,000 by the state of Florida as part of a $15.6 million initiative to prepare students and mid-career professionals for jobs in the fields of cybersecurity and information technology. Now, the grant size is actually $838,483. I always like to see these types of articles where large universities are trying to enhance the education for the next generation of cybersecurity and IT professionals. Certainly my alma mater, Middle Tennessee State University, does much of that as well. So kudos to FAU, even if we are rivals in sports and Conference USA. 
cyber education and helping folks get into cybersecurity is a passion of mine. I've got a little bit more to say about that in 30 seconds. A few years ago, my firm created a scholarship for those students at Middle Tennessee State University that were interested in pursuing a career in information security, had decent grades, and a demonstrated financial need. We did that for a couple of reasons. One is because on my cyber journey, my educational journey, I should say, I relied upon grants, scholarships, loans, financial aid to get through my undergraduate. I wouldn't have been able to without that sort of assistance. And so I think it's important to give back. I also think it's important to help with the current generation growing into cybersecurity because this is a growing field. I know that I'm basically saying what everybody else understands, but there's a lot of issues with regards how we're growing it and a lot of opportunities and a lot of challenges. And, and one of those reasons why I say that is that I'm often asked, well, how did you get into cybersecurity? Well, my story in some ways really isn't as relevant because back when I got into cybersecurity, there really was no cybersecurity. I kind of grew into the field as the field was born and grew. But to that point, I thought that it was useful if maybe I talked a little bit about my path. And so I started a short YouTube series. The link is in the show notes to the latest episode of my path. Now, one thing that is common with all of that is that I got into what would become cybersecurity without any sort of knowledge or experience because I was trainable. And I explained that in the first episode as to why it has to deal with my experience being in the military. And that's a huge thing that we need to look at today, that instead of looking at certs and letters after names, look at how trainable somebody is. Because really, there are so many people can can have a flourishing career in cybersecurity. You don't have to be a top-notch computer programmer to do that. So that's the first thing. I would encourage you to check out the videos. And if you are enjoying those on the YouTube channel, then please subscribe to the channel. I'm envisioning that probably I'll end up with 10 to 15 episodes as I go through. It depends upon how long I talk, but each episode I'm keeping to under 10 minutes. The second thing is that I've, and I've talked a little bit about this before too, that the learning experience never ends. And I came across, I think it was a, a tweet uh, about a new free three-hour introduction to Python class. And I haven't taken any programming in forever. I guess you could maybe say that some database programming back uh, when I was going for my master's in information systems project management about 15 years ago might count. But other than that, my only formal training was some basic in high school and Fortran 77 in college. But I keep on hearing and seeing people talking about Python. And I thought, you know what? I think I'd like to learn a little bit more how to do that. So the lesson there is the lessons never end. Keep on learning. Keep on learning. Keep on being relevant. Keep on contributing. So I also put a link to that video in the show notes. I'm not endorsing it. I'm not even recommending it at this point in time because I haven't viewed it yet. 
but I'm going to try. And just like with the Kelly Linux sitting in on those sessions that I've tried to do on occasion and report back here, which by the way, I do think that they are very, very valuable. Um, I'll report back here and let you know what I think from my perspective. And again, if you watch the YouTube mini series on my cybersecurity path, you'll have a better idea of my perspective. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you on Monday and then on Tuesday for the weekly video interview. We've got JJ Powell, whom I've known for many, many years. He's um, very, very skilled in information security and risk management. He's currently working as a virtual CISO for a firm called CDG, and he brings a lot of good advice and good information to the table. So watch for that on Tuesday. And of course, Monday, we'll have the quick strike early in the morning. So have a great weekend and stay secure.